Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Let's turn to John chapter 14, and it's going to be on the screen, and just read with me. And it says this, uh, This is Jesus talking, and Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little bit interesting there. Look at that. Look at how he's phrasing this. Verse 19, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Whoever loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, not the one that, you know what I mean, says, said this, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Great question, right? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and I will come to him and make our home with them. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, who's the counselor? It says the Holy Spirit Whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Let's pray real quick. Lord God, we just thank you. And Holy Spirit, we come, Lord God, humbled, Lord Jesus, uh, because God, we cannot do this without you. Heavenly Father, I I do not even stand here, Lord God, and, and dare to even begin to try to teach on your word without you, Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord God, that as this message unfolds, that we will come to the realization just who you are and how vital you are to our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen Amen. and amen. Um, I don't know how you grow up, grew up in church, if you grew up in some kind of religion or a religious household or a non-religious household, but I had an interesting childhood because my great-grandmother on my mom's side was Pentecostal, and my grandmother on my dad's side, uh, she and her family were Presbyterian. And so it was, it was two different church experiences. Um, on my, my grandmother's side, uh, the Presbyterian side, uh, you know, when I would think about bringing somebody to church, I'd be a little worried that maybe they'd get bored. It was a very quiet church. Sometimes you had to check everyone's pulse and make sure they're breathing. You know, we just, we weren't sure. You know what I mean? We just, we just didn't know. You know, they're just kind of just there. And, uh, and so, but then on, and on my great-grandmother's side, uh, very different, very uh, lively, so to speak. But I also was nervous to invite friends because you never know what would happen in that church, you know. And and so sometimes you invite somebody and, and all of a sudden people just start running and screaming and fake eyelashes coming out and teeth flying everywhere and, and heels being broken and ties flying, and, you know. And then, you know, friends just look at you and like, you know, what's going on? You know what I mean? Um, and what I came to realize is something that's very true, which is my impression is that there are an awful lot of churches in the world that talk about nothing but spiritual experiences, and then there are a lot off of churches in the world uh, that do that are completely afraid of the subject, and so they kind of stick to to only about doctrine, right, so to speak. Um, And really what we need to do is we need to come to the realization that there is something deeper, uh, there is a balanced look when it comes to the Holy Spirit, and we're going to take that journey together, okay? So uh, let's look at what the passage tells us about three things, about who the Holy Spirit is, about what he does, and then how we can receive what it is that he gives. Ready? Number one. 
Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, there's three things that we learn from this passage quickly. Number, the first thing is we learn that he is a person. The Holy Spirit's personal. You know, have you noticed that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit not as an it, like we tend to do, right? In fact, on my great-grandmother's side, they didn't even call, they didn't even call him the Holy Spirit. They called him the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Holy Ghost. Y'all, anybody grew up with the Holy Ghost? Yeah, yeah, haunting your heart, Holy Ghost, you know, and you almost got scared about it, you know, like, they'd say, come to the altar and receive the Holy Ghost. Receive what? <laughs> right? And, uh, but, but li listen, Jesus doesn't call the Holy Spirit an it, right? Because the Holy Spirit is not an energy, it's not a, a force, but the Holy Spirit is a he, right? Right away in verse 17, it says, the world cannot accept him. Him. He's a person. In Ephesians 4.30, the Holy Spirit is said to, to be grieved, right? You can grieve the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 10.29, it says that you can outrage the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15, it says that the Holy Spirit loves. He loves. He can be grieved. He can be outraged, right? It, he, it's not an impersonal uh, force that, that doesn't feel anything, but he's a person. We don't worship a force but we worship a person, right? Number, second thing we find out quickly is that he's not just a person, but he's God, right? For example, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Now, we're going to get back to that word counselor in just a minute, but notice what he says. He says, I'm going to give you another. Here's another, right? In other words, uh, that Jesus is trying to get you to realize that, that he's making claims not just about him, but about the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus made crazy claims about himself. Jesus said that he is God, right? In fact, in John 8, Jesus says, before Adam was, I am. He takes the divine name that God gave to Moses in the burning bush. Jesus says, it's me, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is, con is consistently saying, I am equal to God. And now he has the audacity to come along and say, oh, and I'm sending you someone else who's just like me. The Holy Spirit is a person, but the Holy Spirit is God. And, and what we, that automatically does is it gets us into what some call the dizzying doctrine of the Trinity. And if it's okay with you, I just want to go there real quick. Look at this, because in, in verse 2 of this chapter, uh, which we didn't read, it says this. It says, I am going away. Uh, then here in verse, ten, verse 16, he says, but the Holy Spirit is coming. See, at this point, Jesus' disciples have been following him. They've sacrificed their life for him. They, they love him. These are like ride or die, right? And then he says, listen, I'm going away. And they're just astonished by that. Their, their heart is broken by that. But he says, but the Holy Spirit is coming. Now, what Jesus is not saying is he's not saying, I'm not really going away, but I'm coming to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. Nor on the other hand is he saying, I'm going away and therefore I'm not coming, but he's coming, right? In other words, he is so one with the Holy Spirit that watch this, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, Jesus comes. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, Jesus comes. Yet he is so identical to the Holy Spirit that, it, 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 that isn't it also this kind of way where he, he's already away and he's in heaven. So he's, he's so one that when, G, that when the Holy Spirit comes with you in you, Jesus comes, and yet he's so identical that Jesus is in heaven. You get that? Right? Is that too hard to understand? Well, it's early in the morning. Right? <laughs> The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a divine person in the middle of your life. The Holy Spirit is a divine person in the middle of your life. You say, well, why does that matter? Oh, it matters. It matters. Because the Bible talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is to experience incredible divine joy and power. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't a power. He gives power. See? He gives power. 
And, 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 and listen, I want power and I want joy. I want you to have power and I want you to have joy, right? Um, but, but how do we get filled with the Spirit? If you're filled with the Spirit and you think of the Spirit as an impersonal force, then you are going to seek that in a very different way than if you understand that being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with a person. Do you see that? Very different. See, if you try to get filled with an impersonal force, you go about it in a mechanical way. For example, Eastern thought, their concept of God is that it is this divine, impersonal force. Therefore, its approach is meditation. But meditation is always the emptying of the mind and emptying of rational thought, emptying the mind of words, right? Why? Because you're trying to get in touch with the force. Yet, when you go into the Bible, you see the word meditation. In fact, the word meditation comes up a lot. But Christian meditation, biblical meditation, is not emptying the mind of rational thought and words, but it's filling your mind with the very words of God. It's a completely different approach. In other words, if you, if you think of the Holy Spirit as an it, then you're going to be moving in a, in a mechanical way instead of an organic relationship. Instead of an organic relationship. And that's what the Holy Spirit, that's what Jesus Christ, that's what the Bible says that we should be having with the Holy Spirit, an organic relationship. You say, well, wait a minute, how does that work, right? I, for, for instance, uh, I want you to think about what it is to just kind of uh, your home, you know, th think about taking a tour of your home for a minute. And, and for example, when I was young, um, if somebody important was coming over if we had a visitor that maybe my dad, you know, uh, held, uh, you know, high uh, esteem to, thought highly of, um, if my grandparents were going to come, right, uh, anything like that. I mean, it would affect everything. It would affect uh, everything that we did in the house. The whole house was affected by it. Not just a part of the house, the whole house. In fact, my grandparents who lived in Connecticut, they would fly in like twice a year and they would stay with us for like a month, you know, uh, just to visit and stuff. And the house was completely different when they were around. In fact, I remember my dad getting in fights with my grandma because uh, my dad would go and buy Tampico. You guys know the drink Tampico? Y'all know that stuff? Yes, glory, right? She'd get so mad she'd come in the refrigerator she's like look at this look at the ingredients it says sugar and water sugar and water this isn't orange juice this isn't any kind of juice. this is just sugar and water you need orange juice and she'd like throw it out and go get orange juice you know that the whole house was different my dad was a horrible cook he couldn't cook for anything and he'd make like these you know made-up casserole dishes with like lima bean toppings and stuff it was a horrid you know it was we like he was heavily you know used the microwave i think we went through like three microwaves you know like it was a, but when my grandparents were coming down everything was like homemade their spaghetti took like eight hours to make no joke like it was so insane like everything was changed like you'd go and there'd always be fresh baked cookies on the counter, like for real, you know, and the, we, we'd come from home from school and the beds would be made and stuff. We're like, what in the world? You know, the, I mean, the whole experience was different. It affected everything. I remember once counseling a man uh, who had an affair and it really blew up his life. In fact, he had been cheating on his wife and he told me that when his wife was away, he would bring his mistress home. But when he'd bring his mistress home, uh, they would go around and they would turn over all of the pictures that had his wife on it. True story. They'd turn over all of the pictures that had his wife on it uh, because, because they couldn't stand the, even just the, even just the photographed face of his wife, uh, would, they, they couldn't stand their behavior. It would affect his behavior, so he'd have to turn them over, you know? And when you think about it, it brings up this question, who's living in your life? 
Who's living in your life? Are you melted by spiritual understandings, by acute consciousness of the glorious person who is there? Does it change the way in which you live? Just the awareness of it fills you with the sense of his presence, and, and it would bring, it, it should bring this sense of integrity to your life. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that, that we're doing even right now that we would do differently if we were just aware of who is living in our life, right? Think about it. Think about how many pictures you would turn over, right? How many times you'd be like, oh man, my behavior needs to be a little bit different. But not because Jesus is about changing behavior, because Jesus is not about behavior modification, but he's all about heart transformation. I'll say that again. Not because Jesus is about behavior modification, but rather because he is about heart transformation. And having the Holy Spirit live in you should, should cause you to think about what it is that you're doing. To be filled with the Spirit is very different to be filled with a force, which leads to the second point. What the Holy Spirit does, number two. There are two words here that tells us what he does, and they're awesome words. First, it says in verse 17 that he is the spirit of truth. Second, it says that he is a counselor. The spirit of truth. What does that mean? Well, at one level, we know that the Holy Spirit essentially authored the Bible, that the Holy Spirit was literally the author of the scriptures. For example, in 2 Peter 1, it says, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by, see that, the Holy Spirit. Look at this in John 6, 63, where Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Are spirit and they are life. In other words, the words of Jesus that you see in the Bible, all those red letters, produced by the spirit. And if you embrace them, if you receive them, if you understand, excuse me, stand them, they give you eternal life. So the Holy Spirit at one level is the author of scripture. In fact, this goes back to the idea of what it means to be filled with the spirit. If the spirit is a person opposed to a force. It, see, if you go to uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, there's a famous passage where, he's, where Paul says, be filled with the spirit. And then he makes a list of what it looks like to have a spirit filled life, right? Remember that? And then, and then he makes these traits and we won't go there, we'll, we'll come back to that later. But then if you go to Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote a different letter to the churches. And he said similar things, but he was writing to the churches, and he was getting some basic truths across. And Colossians chapter 3, it says, be filled with the word. And then he makes a list of what the word-filled life is. So he makes two lists. There's a list of what a spirit-filled life is, and there's a list of what a world of a word-filled life is. And what's interesting is they're the same list. They're the same list. Now, just a little plug, two theology and coffees from now, so not this theology coffee, but next theology and coffee, uh, Pastor Phil and I are going to have a dialogue with one another about the question, are the gifts of the Spirit still for today? So for some of you, you might be thinking about things like prophecy and speaking in tongues and interpretation and word of knowledge and healing and all that stuff. We are going to get into that in a couple weeks. But this is interesting that there's a list of what a spirit-filled life is and what a word-filled life is, and they're the same list because what he's getting across is, listen, these words are from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. To be filled with a person, to be, to be dominated by a person is to literally hang on their every word. It means to be dominated and saturated by scripture, to let it dwell in you richly. It, it, it's not just the same as knowing information. Just for the, but, but just, you know, just to know it, but it's to, it's to believe it. It's to meditate on it. It's to let it marinate in your spirit. In fact, he goes beyond that though. And we are referred to it because look at verse 21. He says, whoever has my commands, that's the word, and obeys them is the one who loves me. Thank you. He who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. 
That's interesting. What do you think he means by that? Well, here, as some people who obviously believe in Jesus Christ, they obviously are seeking Jesus. He's talking, he's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to folks that love him, folks that believe in him, right? Folks who, who, you know, are obeying and reading his word. And Jesus says, I will come and show myself to them. In this passage on the Holy Spirit, he says, I will come and show myself to them. What does he mean? I mean, don't they know who he is? They're Christians, Right? What, what, I mean, what does he mean he's going to show themselves? They're Christians. Don't they know who he is? Right? You see, that's the Holy Spirit taking the words and making them life. Taking the words and making them power. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I read my Bible. It's another thing for the Bible to come to life and to give you power in your life. Very different. Right? Here's another place where Paul talks about it, and this is actually one of the most important verses in the Bible to me personally, and this is Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul is praying for his friends, and he says this, I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, wouldn't you love that? To know how deep and how wide, right? To, to, to understand how high the love of Christ is, that it will surpass knowledge. In other words, there's gonna be times where you go through things and you can't wrap your mind around it, but his love is there. There's going to be times where you face trials and heartaches and you're not sure why that person had to die this way or why you're going through this situation, but the love surpasses all of that, that you may be filled with the measure to all the fullness of God. Now he's talking to Christians. He's talking to Christians. He says, I'm praying through the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Wait a minute. Isn't Christ already dwelling in their hearts? Of course. Otherwise, they wouldn't be Christians. So what is he saying? Right? Then he says, I'm praying by the power of the Spirit that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. Well, don't they already know the love of Christ? Of course. Or they wouldn't be Christians. He says, but I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. What does he mean? What he means is this. It's one thing to read scripture, and it's another thing to have the Holy Spirit come and reveal Jesus Christ to you in it. It's one thing to know that Christ dwells in your heart. It's another thing to sense it, right? It's one thing to know with your head that sugar is sweet, it's another thing to taste it and have your whole being electrified by it. See? You not only know it, but you sense it. And that's one thing that the Holy Spirit does. He is the author, but not just of objective truth, because he wrote the Bible, but of subjective truth. He makes it live in your life. He makes it live. He makes it vivid and powerful. He makes it life-changing. That's the first thing the Spirit dwells, that does. Believe it or not, but, but that's not all he does. Because actually, if that's all he does, then he would be maybe a consultant of some kind, right? Uh, you know, he, uh, maybe somebody who just kind of, uh, you, that you just hired and, to come in and you, and, and you kind of say, hey, come into my life and maybe, you know, look at my life and just give me some pointers on, you know, maybe some little things I need to tweak and, and change, you know, to be successful, right? But that's not all he does, right? He, 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 he's not just a guide, even though I love when the Bible says that he's a guide. Because when you think about a guide, when you go somewhere, if you're maybe to a museum, right, and you have somebody that's going to guide you through the museum, well, what makes them... Uh, able to be a guide. I mean, who says they could be it? Well, because they've been through the museum. They know the museum. They've already seen it. They, they, know, they know facts about the museum that, that we don't know yet, and, the, and they've already walked through it. And, and, and the Holy Spirit being our guide for our life means he's already seen your life. He knows your life. He knows your tomorrow. He knows your next week. He knows your next month. He knows your next year, and he wants to guide you through it, right? But he's not just a guide. He, he's not just the author, right? He's not a consultant. But look, at it says he's a counselor. Next, he's a counselor. 
And this is the main point of the whole message this morning. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. And, it, and actually, if you go through five or six translations, you'll get different translations of, of this word. And, and whenever you start seeing an English word with five or six different translations in different translations of the Bible, it's because the translators are struggling with how to interpret this word counselor. They're, they're, they struggle with it. Because what kind of counselor? Marriage counselor? Right? Camp counselor? Like, what, what does it mean by counselor, right? And, and basically, the commentators know that it's this word, the uh, parakletos or paraclete, right? It, it's actually a very difficult word to translate. Para means not to be in front or behind, but rather to stand alongside. Para means to stand alongside, like parallel, right? Stand alongside, yeah, right? Uh, kaleo means to declare, to call, and actually what it means is to argue, to argue, to stand alongside and to argue. That's actually what it means. Now, when you think of a counselor, you know, if they're sitting there fighting with you, you're like, wow, you must be messed up. No, just kidding. Uh, it, but, but, but in other words, the, the best way to actually translate this is this. When Jesus says, I'm going to send you another, what? Legal advocate. That's actually what it means. He's going to send you another legal advocate. This word gets across the idea that on one hand, this person is yours, that this person stands in your position and represents you. This person is loyal to you in the end. This person who is for you in, in the strongest sense. The Holy Spirit is for you. He, he stands beside you. He, he's there. He wants the best for you. On the other hand, it also means he's somebody that argues with you, right? All the married people say, yes, you know, <laughs> right? Husbands, I get the silence. You don't want to get in trouble later. But in your mind, you're like, yes, Pastor Roger, preach it. Go ahead. Where's the tambourine? Come on, right? I get it. But, but for your safety, you're just sitting there like, mm-hmm. But I see your eyes. I got you. We connected. We connected, right? <laughs> right? It, it, it mean, it, it, listen, it means this, that he's a person uh, who, who argues, is a person who debates, this is a person who makes a case. This is a person who defends you against your enemies, wow. right? In other words, there, there's a side of the Holy Spirit that cares for you, and there's a, that, that, that seems soft and, and loving, and there's another side that, that is firm and argumentative, but argumentative in the sense of he's building a case. Now, why in the world would Jesus Christ say that the Holy Spirit is a legal advocate? Why would he say that? What does it mean? Here's what it means. The Holy Spirit's job is, defend, is to defend you against the enemies here on earth, but especially the enemies inside your own heart. Okay, I will. The Holy Spirit's job is to defend you against the enemies here on earth, but especially the enemies in your own heart. For example, in Romans chapter 8, 15, it says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of his son who comes in our heart crying, Abba, Father. You know what that means? Your heart is filled with fear and the Holy Spirit comes in and argues and says, no, God loves you. You're his child. Yeah. One verse later in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That word bear witness is a technical Greek word that means he, that he is the star witness in court. He is the person bringing legal testimony in court that will settle the case. See, what this is saying here is that your heart is filled with doubts and fears and worries and anxiety and stresses, right? And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 there, there, there's no reason to fear, there's no reason to doubt, there's no reason, because you are His, you are loved, right? He's making a case against the enemies in your heart. There's a great spot in Hebrews 11 which is all about suffering and all the troubles that come. And in, and in Hebrews 12, he says this, have you forgotten the word of exhortation that argues with you? That's what the, word, that's what the Greek word means, argues with you. As children, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, for he, for he disciplines those he loves. Now, most of us just kind of read over that passage, you know. But there's power in it. See, the Hebrew writer is actually quoting Proverbs 3, and he's saying the job of the Holy Spirit is to argue with you when you're cast down. 
Suffering has happened to you. Bad things have happened to you. And you feel like, man, am, am I being abandoned? What's going on? But according to the book of Hebrews, he says the scripture, scripture comes in. Uh, I'm sorry, that the Holy Spirit comes in. And through scripture, he feel, forms this case to argue against that. How? How? As children. The scripture argues and says, no, no, you are, you are his child. He's not abandoning you. Good fathers often put their children through paces that, uh, of things that they're saying, well, what's happening right now? And what does all this mean? In fact, did you know there's a place in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, where it says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts? Wow. With a small phrase... I'm just going to say, whenever our hearts condemn us, the Holy Spirit is greater than our hearts. It's the Spirit's job to argue. Our hearts do not like the idea of grace. Did you know that? Our hearts do not like, we don't really, we don't really like the gospel. There's something within us that actually doesn't like it because we don't like the idea of being saved by grace because we want to earn it. Because if we earn it, then it puts us in control right? And it puts us in control of God and what happens because we've earned this. So nobody can tell me what to do because I earned this. This is mine, right? But, but, but listen, and we're constantly being buffeted by our fears and our doubts. And when bad things happen, we say, no, you know, he's abandoned us or, or I'm not good enough or he can't possibly love me. And the Holy Spirit comes in and argues. He makes the case. He takes the gospel and says, Christ didn't die for you just because he died for you because he loves you. And he pounds you with the gospel until you just relax, right? Until you just relax. Have you ever seen somebody so stressed out and you just go and you slap them and, you know, all of a sudden, they're like, thanks, I needed that, you know, <laughs> right? It's not just the Holy Spirit that defends us against accusation, but he also defends us against temptation. The Holy Spirit doesn't just defend us against accusation, but he also defends us against temptation. In James chapter 4, there's a strange spot where James first says, do you not know the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And then it says, don't you realize? Again, they don't know how to translate this. Don't you realize the spirit of God within you envies you? Sometimes it's hard to translate. Sometimes it says, Lust, lusts unto envy. They, they, they're not sure how to translate that. But, but what it's saying is, don't you realize that when you start to let the world take you away from God, the Holy Spirit within you longs for your love. The Holy Spirit, when he sees us giving our hearts to money or giving our hearts to fame or giving our hearts to sex or giving our hearts to power instead of to God, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit comes and he says, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. When he sees our hearts being tempted away from God, knowing it's going to destroy us, he comes in and he starts building a case. I grew up with a mom that was a prostitute and a heroin addict, and I remember as a kid, I would, I would just try to build a case for my mom to change. I, I would try to, I would try to, I just loved her so much, and I just, I wanted her to change, and, and, I, and I would be there, and I would just be arguing with her about it, and, and, and debating with her about it, and, and talking to her about it, because I loved her, because I wanted her to change so badly. Right? And, 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 and there's times where you're just like, where I remember just yelling and saying, you're killing yourself over this stuff. Stop it. Why, why are you doing this? Don't you know I love you and I don't want to lose you, right? That's what the counselor is. That's what he's doing. That's what this legal advocate is doing. This is somebody that doesn't want to, to lose you. He, he doesn't want to let you go and destroy yourself and kill yourself. He, he's not going to do that. He's a glorious person that lives in you. And Paul says in Philippians 1, the good work that God began in you, he will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He's a glorious person, this Holy Spirit, and he will not stop until you become the, glo until you become the glorious person you should be. So he's going to oppose anything in your heart that will come and try to cut you or degrade you or take you away or tempt you away from the Father's love. This is a friend whose love has teeth in it. Anybody have friends like that, right? This is a friend who is utterly for you. 
which means sometimes he's against you. <laughs> right? That's the wonder of having the Holy Spirit in your heart. You say, that's awesome, but how do we receive that? How do we receive that? Very importantly, how can you be sure that you're receiving these benefits that the Holy Spirit can offer? And I think there's two answers in the text, and there's actually a lot we could say, but we're going to stick with the text this morning. And in the text, what we see is this. First, he, uh, the key to the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life and, and making you what you should be can be it, it, this kind of understanding first of advocate. When Jesus says, I'm going to send you another counselor, he's talking about himself. Who's the first counselor? Him. Him. He's the first counselor. The word parakletos, legal advocate, is used of Jesus as well. Remember in John, not the book of John, but in the epistle of John, that, it, that, the, that it, in fact, the New uh, International Translation says this, then 1 John 2, 1, he says, I write to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Well, who's that? He says, I write to you hoping that no one will sin, but if you do sin, which, are we going to sin? Yes, right? So, he says, so, right, uh, that, there's, that there is somebody who speaks to the Father in our defense, our advocate. Who is that? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how the New International Version re reads it. In other words, in other words uh, he, 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 he makes a case. It actually says you have an advocate with the Father, he, that, that we have a parakletos. When the Bible says that we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. If we believe in Jesus, we, we, we have somebody there with the Father, right? And here's what the Bible's assuming. First, it assumes that there is a bar of justice. And, and there is a court before which all of us stand accused and we're condemned. We're condemned. And as a pastor, I've told a lot of people who try to desperately to get out from under this idea that they're moral failures, this idea that they're condemned. And one of the biggest ways to do it is to move to the Bay Area. If you, if you don't like the idea of being condemned, move to the Bay Area, right? Because here you're being told that, that you create what's right and wrong for yourself. You decide what's right and wrong for you. You, you don't let anybody else's moral standards come to you, you right? I mean, for a number of years, you say, well, listen, I don't have to feel guilty. I decide what's wrong or wrong for me. Until you realize that there's not a single person on this earth who lives up to even your own standards. Right? Even your standards of right and wrong, nobody lives up to. I don't care what happens. It could, it, it, it could be that you're successful in the beginning of your life, and then you realize that life goes on, that you've neglected your relationship right? And now you're lonely. Or maybe, or maybe you started out successful and then kind of ended up unsuccessful, right? And, and, and you begin to feel like a failure. Whatever it is, everybody in the end has the sense that they're condemned. Everybody knows they're a moral failure. This sense sleeps very deeply in people for a long time, and it might be sleeping deeply inside of you here this morning, there is a bar of justice. There is a court that we go before and we stand accused. But the second thing this passage assumes is that when you believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ stands in that court of justice and represents you. Represents you and intercedes for you and makes a case for you. Right? When I was a new Christian and I read that spot, there's a place in Romans 8 where it says that Jesus Christ ever lives to intercede. Right? In Hebrews 7 and in Romans 8, where it says Jesus Christ makes intercession for us before the Father, that was, kind of, that, that was kind of a comfort for me. In my mind, what it meant is every time I sinned, Jesus walked up and said, uh, listen, uh, God the Father, uh, you know, don't strike Roger dead. Um, don't abandon Roger, you know, uh, be merciful or something like that, right? I, I could just see Jesus kind of going to God the Father and saying, you know, I know he promised not to do that anymore, and then he did it, right? Um, but, but can you give him like another chance? Oh, this is like his one millionth point three chance. I know, but can you just one, you know, one more? That'd be, that'd be great. Um, you know, I, I just kind of seeing this, right? And I, and, and I guess I thought that's what Jesus was doing. 
When, when, when he's advocating for us in heaven, I, I, thought, I just kind of thought that's what it was. But in a way, that didn't comfort me because I was like, well, how long can Jesus keep that up? Right? I mean, how long until he finally says, okay, that's enough, you know. One too many, right? I'm not going to go to the Father one more time for this guy, right? Or when is the Father going to be like, okay, listen, you know, it's been five years now since, you know, you keep making this promise, right? Until one day, there was a sermon outline that, outline that I read by Charles Hodge, who was a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, and, and he was there in like the 19th century, um, in like 1830s and 40s, and he gave a chapel talk about Jesus Christ as our advocate, and it changed my life. He said something like this, do you know what? Jesus Christ is your advocate. He is your legal representative before the bar, before the court, and one of the things you have to realize is he's not just up there pleading for mercy. That's not what a legal advocate does, but a legal advocate means he builds a case he makes a case based on the law, and he's up there securing your status as not being condemned because of the law. He's not up there pleading for mercy. He's up there making a case. Do, do, do you see what Charles is saying? He's saying something like this, and, and what the Bible's trying to convey is something like this. Jesus is almost saying, Father, you are just, and sin demands payment. This brother or sister of mine has sinned, Right? He, he, he's not loved God. She's not loved God with all of his heart, with all of her soul, with all of his strength and mind. He hasn't loved his neighbor as, as himself. She has sinned and his sin must be paid for. Father, here's the payment. Look at my broken body. Look at my poured out blood. I have paid for it. And it would be unjust to get two payments for the same sin. I've paid for it. Therefore, I'm not just pleading for mercy. I'm demanding acquittal for my brother and my sister because I have paid for his or her sin. Therefore, they cannot pay for their own sin. Do you see that? Therefore, there's no condemnation for them. See, that's what he's doing. He's building a case. That's what Charles is saying that he's doing. And when I realize this, and I hope you can come with me on this, on this idea, is I'm trying to get across maybe in three minutes what, what, what could be you know, kind of an amazing thing. But, but, but listen, uh, when you realize that all other, all other religions sort of see salvation as scales, right? And here's salvation, and, and here's you, and you have to kind of put a bunch of stuff on here to make sure the scale's balanced, you know? So you have to do good works, and you have to pray a lot, and give a lot, and do, you know, all this kind of stuff, and, and so you're, you're constantly trying to balance the scale, right? And, that, and that, that's what justice will be, right? That's what I thought the moral law of God was. Divine justice was on one side, and here I am having trying to put a ton of stuff on the other side, and you better be good. So I had to push everything up that I possibly could out of my own life, all good deeds, all prayers, going to church, everything, everything, everything. I just push it all up on the scale. Otherwise, I was cooked if I didn't. I was finished, right? But when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and when he comes to you as your legal, legal advocate, it means the justice, the justice of God is on your side. Amen. The justice of God is on your side. It would be unjust for God to take two payments for the same sin. Your sins have been paid for. Therefore, the very justice of God, the, the infallible, infinite justice of God demands that there's no condemnation for you. That's what it means. If we have the advocate up there doing that, then what is the Holy Spirit doing down here? See, that we, we have a, Jesus Christ is our advocate in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is here. And, he, and he's taking the advocacy in heaven and applying it here on earth against the enemies of your own heart. He's pounding it into you. He's dealing with your temptations. He's dealing with your pride. He's dealing with your fears. He's dealing with your accusations. He, he, he's saying, look at what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit, th uh, though, is not an advocate that points to himself, right? But, but he's an advocate that points to Jesus Christ. See? He points to him. The Holy Spirit's job is not to say, look at me, get power, get my power, get my joy, get, get my anointing, get all. No, no. The Holy Spirit's job is to say, look at Jesus. Look at the beauty of what Jesus has done. Look at him standing up there. Look how he's advocating for you. Do you not see there's no danger, there's no failure, there's no accusation, there is nothing that can overturn you or that can cast you down? 
The Holy Spirit is an advocate on earth pointing to the advocate in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the advocate on earth pointing to the advocate in heaven. Making the work of the advocate in heaven so beautiful that your life is changed by it. Your life is changed by it. As I go to conclude the message, listen, here are two ways I'd like to point out about your life changing on the basis of what I've said, right? And you might be thinking, well, listen, I, you know, I already have to make a lot of changes, you know, kind of got a lot going on in my life. Roger, don't really need to make any more. That'll kind of be on the bottom of my change list, right? But notice, but, but I want you to notice this. First notice, please notice the magnificence of the divine selflessness that we see here. Here's Jesus emptying himself of his glory in order to become a servant and die on the cross for our sins. Here's the Holy Spirit, not speaking of his own glory, but glorifying Jesus. Do you see the selflessness that we see? There must be something deep in the heart of God that is, that is other-oriented. There is a selflessness of God, not a consumerism, but, but a selflessness. There's something in God that says, my life for yours. There is something in God that, in God that says, I'm here to serve you. Here's Jesus emptying himself of glory. Here's the Holy Spirit showing us Jesus' glory. Are you always promoting yourself? Are you always, are you always upset because people aren't giving you what you feel is due? And may, maybe, maybe you're frustrated in life. Maybe you're frustrated in your marriage or frustrated in raising the kids or frustrated at the job because you think that your life is due this certain picture. You have this certain idea in your head and because that's not what's happening. You become frustrated or angry or disappointed, right? But that's just self-promoting, Right? Do you feel like you're, maybe you feel like you don't get enough credit? Do you find yourself always getting insulted? Like you're always taking it personal, you know? Oh, Pastor Roger, he's reading my mail, you know? He, somebody must have told him about me, and he's just out there, listen, it's not all about you. <laughs> right? Just tell your neighbor, it's not all about you. Tell him, say it's not all about you. Go ahead. I didn't say say it with attitude. I see some of you, not all about you. Write that down, write that down, big cap, put it in caps. You know? <laughs> right? <laughs> how dare people talk to me like that? You know? How dare she talk to me like that? How dare he talk to me like that? You know? Are you doing what a lot of Bay Area people are doing? Spending all their time just trying to get up the ladder and basically dealing with people. Uh, if they serve you, that's the only thing. I mean, you'll go hang out with them or, or, or you'll talk to them if it serves you, if it benefits you, if you get something out of it. Right? if it serves your interests, if it helps with your agenda. Listen, if you want to be like the divine person who comes and lives in, your, in the heart of a Christian, then you have to be a person that is characterized by the magnificent of divine selflessness. Get rid of our pride. We need to stop promoting ourselves all the time. But instead, we need to be like the one who lives within us. And then secondly, and here's where we end, second thing, is on the other hand, on the other side, do you feel like an imposter? Are you struggling with rejection? See, in the Bay Area, there's always, it, it always feels like there's an audition for everything you do, right? That it always feels like there's always this job interview and we, we go around and, and I feel like we just deal with rejection a lot. Some of you are struggling an awful lot and you feel like you're a failure. Especially here in the Bay Area. It almost feels like we have to live a certain way and be a certain way and kind of act a certain way and do it. Otherwise, we, we failed in some way, right? Are you afraid to have any of the people around you realize how much you lack confidence? How much you right now almost loathe yourself? Listen, you need an advocate. You have one in heaven and you have one on earth. You really have everything you need. You really do. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to just come into your house, into your heart, and let him feel it. Just let him feel it. 
Let, let him begin to build cases, not just, not just for the enemies out there, but for the enemies here. You see, the things that when you lay your head at night and you close your eyes and those things that are just coming in your mind, coming in your mind, just constantly just cycle, 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 negative, negative, and they're just there, they're just there, they're just there. Let the Holy Spirit just be an advocate for you. You see. Uh, when you're trying to pull your resources from other things and other people, and, and all of a sudden, here you are, and even though, even though you say, I'm a Christian, but yet your heart is going to other things, and so you're turning over pictures. You go through seasons where you just, you're a Christian, but you haven't really talked to God in a while. Right? Because you know. You know, who, you know what else you've allowed to live there. What, what else you've allowed to come in. The Holy Spirit says, listen, listen, I'm here. I'm here to help fight that. I'm here to build a case for that. I'm here to show you who you really are in Jesus. I'm here to show you what Jesus has done for you and remind you and turn the picture frames back over and show you the cross and show you the blood and show you the empty tomb and show you the scriptures. I'm here to remind you that you are his. You are his child. That is your identity before all other things. That is who you are. You have an advocate in heaven and you have an advocate on earth. You have everything you need. Let's stand and pray as we begin to worship. In fact, as we enter into a time of worship and as we get ready to sing this song, can you just be filled with the Holy Spirit? Can you, can you allow the Holy Spirit to take what you read in Scripture and maybe even what you know in your mind and, and let you start experiencing it? Let you start sensing it? Not just to know that, that sugar is sweet, but to taste it. Will, will you just begin to just say, you, you know, just open up your life and open up your heart and, and let the Spirit of God that resides in you, His Holy Spirit's already there, resides in you, just fill you and just begin to turn pictures back over and just begin to advocate for it. Will, will you let the Word of God speak on your behalf to the enemies of your heart right now? Will you let that happen? Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.